Our text last week took place in a certain village, and this one, our text from Luke today, takes place in a certain place. Luke, again, not specifying the exact location. Maybe because the focus is not on where it happened, but on what Jesus is doing there. And today we're going to see that Jesus, when he gets to this certain place, is praying. Now, the disciples who are accustomed to seeing Jesus do many things, he's been doing miracles, he's raised people from the dead, he's cured the sick, he's fed 5,000 people. The disciples have heard Jesus teach, they've heard him speak. Now for the first time and the only time it is recorded, the disciples, the disciples asked to be taught something. They asked to be taught to pray, which I think is very interesting. It would seem that they were inspired to enter more deeply into the relationship that Jesus showed in prayer than in anything else he had done up to this point. They asked to be taught in prayer. Now, they probably asked to be taught a lot of things, but again, I don't think it's an accident that this is the only thing that is recorded in the Bible of the disciples being asked to be taught. Here's the text. One day Jesus was praying in a certain... Oh, I'm so sorry. Bible's out, please. We're looking at Luke chapter 11 today. Uh, you can follow along. You may want to earmark Isaiah 43 because we're going to be getting there as well. But Isaiah... I'm sorry, Luke chapter 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said, when you pray, say, Father, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, you can't see it, but there's little tiny A's and B's there and C's as well as D's because some of the translations, you'll notice this was different than the one that we had up from Matthew. Luke gives us just a little bit of the Lord's Prayer here today. Now, it's not uncommon for disciples to ask how to do something. John's disciples apparently were asking him how to pray. So Jesus' disciples fittingly do the same. And in response, Jesus teaches this new prayer. Now, this new prayer is very brief, but it is also very profound. It's one that we still speak today. And it is profound because it changes the very way of praying. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time breaking down the Lord's Prayer today. I think Luther's small catechism does a decent job of that. That was a Lutheran joke. The catechism wonderfully and thoroughly explains the meaning of the Lord's Prayer as well as teaching and explaining the other chief parts of the faith like the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, baptism, communion, confession, absolution. If you'd like to know more about those things... That's why we have the catechism. And if you don't have one or you haven't dusted it off since you were a wee little lad many years ago, I recommend pulling it out, friends, because spend time going over those explanations. They're a wonderful teaching tool that moves us past from this routine of just saying the words of the Lord's Prayer or saying the words of the Apostles' Creed into understanding and, more importantly, recognizing why we are confessing what we do. But today... For the sake of our sermon, I want to focus on the profoundness of this very brief prayer that the Lord gives us. I want to examine the relationship that I think this prayer that Jesus gives us invites us into. Because at the heart of how this prayer that Jesus offers, it changes prayer in a way that had not done before. The very first word is the change, Father. Now, in the chapter before, remember Jesus said that the Son can reveal the Father to whomever He wishes. 
And Jesus is choosing to reveal the Father to us in prayer. He is inviting you through prayer into a new relationship with God, one as your Father. The title of Father in the Old Testament was typically used only in a few places, mainly Exodus, where God is referring to the people of Israel as a whole as his child or once in a while as a king. Jesus is unique in teaching here that ordinary individuals like you and I can address God as Father. He is inviting us to share in the deep intimacy of his own relationship that he has with the Father. He's inviting us to know the Father as he does, as one who is merciful, as giving, as attentive, and as forgiving. To name God, the Creator, as Father in prayer indicates that you truly are a child of God. And it is with this childlike trust and simplicity that we are to daringly pray, to ask, to cry out, to speak to God as a child speaks to their parent in love and in trust. And in Matthew, Jesus warned against the type of prayer that was happening in that day, this praying with many words. Some commentaries point out that during the time of Jesus, rabbis had sayings like this, whoever is long in prayer is heard. Or whoever the righteous, whenever they make their prayer very long, then they will be heard. It was said that you must first address God as blessed, praised, glorified, exalted, honored, magnified, his name be lauded, and several other things before you could even begin to pray. Because it wasn't until you had exhausted your vocabulary that perhaps God might hear you. It was as if we needed to impress God with our many words as if he was not loving, but he needed to be pampered before he would deign to hear such lowly beings as ourselves. And Jesus shows that that way of thinking shows a misunderstanding of the relationship in prayer that we have with our Father. It is a trust in our skills and thinking that we could distract with fanciness and words in a hope to manipulate God rather than to be in relationship with him. At the core of the old way of praying was this fear of being in relationship with God. Likewise, in Matthew, Jesus warns against praying to be seen. Because at the time, you'll remember, it was popular to stand on the corner and pray very loudly so that all would see and hear you. Which to me, I mean, like, can you imagine that? Isn't that crazy how silly that seems? Now to think that a normal person would just go to the corner of a street and start praying really loudly so that everybody's seen. I mean, like, what are they going to think of next? Taking a picture of doing something and then making sure everyone saw it and could comment on it? Friends, that type of praying was done because there was a misunderstanding of the relationship they had with God. There was this obsession with wanting others to see more than caring about an actual relationship that you have with God. And ultimately, I think it's because there was a fear to enter into something that is real. It's much easier when prayer is performance than when prayer is relationship. So in contrast, Jesus gives this brief, maybe 30 seconds worth of prayer and invites you into a relationship with God. 
And this prayer is more than just words that we memorize. This prayer of calling to Father is the foundational need that we must have. Everything else flows as a consequence when it comes to petitions and asking things from God. All on this word from Father, which is basically saying, you are now deeply loved by God in Christ Jesus. Christ is revealing to us that before we ask or respond, even in spite of your own failures and sin, in spite of your humanness, first hold and know this deep truth that God loves you and you are his child. But what makes this relationship so difficult, so distant how it seems, and makes prayer seem like such an awkward thing, like if I called on three or four of you, please come up and pray for us right now, you'd be like, he better not call on me, or I swear I will never come back. (laughs) What makes prayer seem so awkward, right? We refrain from the doing, right? Because these issues in the way of relationships that we have developed over time get in the way. We're used to human relationships, not a relationship like this that Jesus introduces us into. Our culture, the time we live in, makes it very hard to be in relationship. And it's not like something evil out there is trying to ruin relationships. It just is. We spend more time on our phone than in conversation with our loved ones. We treat time in the Word as any other app on our phone. We approach this relationship with God as if He was just some friend who's there when we need Him. And we can call on Him if things get really bad. We feel uncomfortable in our own skin. So how in the world, Lord, am I supposed to be honest completely with you in this relationship? And you have heard me say time and time again that God loves you. Well, you know what? Other people have told me that I've been loved as well, and they've also hurt me. And when it comes to prayer and relationship, how do I even begin that? Teach me in your 20 minutes of how to stop listening to my own voice when it comes to who God is. How am I supposed to see God the way that he says that I am rather than how I am truly? How do I look past the disappointments in my life, the wouldas, the shouldas, the couldas, because my heart is tired and the floods and the fires make all of this relationship with God seem a little bit too far, too distant. And if you feel that way, like I myself have felt, then I am here to tell you that you are at the very best place you could be to embrace this relationship that Jesus is inviting you into through prayer. Because at the core of the text here in Luke is that God's heart is for us. And with your permission, I'd like to help us understand prayer and embrace this relationship that Christ Jesus is inviting you and I into. Because being in relationship is very hard. It's been said that the conversion of the soul is the miracle of the moment. We just witnessed it. Salvation come in a moment. But the manufacturer of a saint is the task of a lifetime. So when we study this text, when I was back in school, I asked one of my teachers, what does this type of prayer look like? Like, I understand, sir, the words, but what is this supposed to feel like? How does this move from words to real? How does this move from theory, which is very nice, into actual practice? Because I don't pray like this. And it's embarrassing because I'm pretty sure pastors are supposed to pray a certain way. 
And so when I asked that question, thinking like the professor should do, if you're in teachers out there, you get asked a question, you better answer it. He would break down the text, and I would be enlightened. But instead, he says, let's go to another text, Trev. Let's hear God speak to us in his word, and then I'll try to answer your text question about this text. So I'd like to take you through what he did with me. And I'll read this passage from Isaiah 43 that he took our whole class through. And he wanted me to see that in this section of scripture that we're about to look at in Isaiah 43, God is speaking through Isaiah to a people who are disheartened, to a people who have really no relationship because they have nothing. They are depressed. They have been beat down. They have been broken. They have lost everything. They have been humiliated as a nation and exiled as a people. They have a non-existent future. And I think sometimes in our lives it can feel that way. Perhaps you're in that moment right now. That moment of feeling that you are overwhelmed. Or maybe you just walked out of it, or maybe you're a little bit afraid that that moment, because everything's been going good for you in life, is coming. To a people who were discouraged and broken, God spoke this. And this is from Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. And since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. For everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. It's a beautiful text, but I was being very impertinent, which is a fancy word. And I responded with, yeah, I've heard that text before, Professor. I'm very familiar with it. In fact, I've even memorized some of it, and my fellow classmates applauded at my knowledge. And I said, in class is only so long, so can you please just answer my question? Because that's not a prayer. That's just more words. And very calmly, he reminded me that this text here from Isaiah is one in which you must quiet your heart as you read it. Because it's not about what you know or what you have read before. He said, yeah, I have no doubt you've read those words before. But have you ever let them swim in your heart? Rest there, back and forth. Let their meaning, let their power enter into the very deep places of you, the places that you don't open up. Have you tried to let them move from here in your head to here in your heart? He says, stop analyzing and lift up your eyes and your heart to the gaze of Jesus. See the love of Jesus here, really here. God speaking these words to you. God speaking these words to your heart. For he spoke them to Israel and speaks them to you this day. 
It was here in these words for the first time that relationship and prayer exist together. See, I had been trying to figure out words so that I could control them, so I could use them to sound very intelligent. I would read them and learn them and then move along and try to do something, but nothing would change in my relationship. And nothing ever could with that type of thinking. When all we want to do is control and to take, we forget to be in relationship and prayer. So it's no wonder that I experienced discouragement and found myself so disheartened in regard to prayer and my relationship with God. And maybe you've felt that too. Spend so much time, right? We sense everything around us. God invites us to sense Him, sense the Lord as we look at this text. He says, don't just read it and move on to the next thing. Don't just pray and get going. He says, let these words, let my words sink deep into your soul. Stop being in such a hurry. There's a lot to do and only so many hours in a day. Billy Joel said that. And there's a lot to accomplish. There's an agenda to keep. But don't be afraid to just sit and be. You're saying from your heart that you want a relationship, but you're so far ahead of yourself that you're misunderstanding the very thing that you need. All you want is to be distracted. Instead, sit and rest. Look at verse 1 again with me here. Thus says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. The Lord who created you, who formed you, invites you to become aware that at the origin of your being, you belong to a people, his people. You are not alone. Sense the mystery in that. Sense the eternal love that surrounds you. Two people stood before us and baptized into the family of God. Because from the beginning of every moment of your life, you are loved by this God who has formed you and created you. Who says, fear not. Jesus must say, do not be afraid so many times in the Bible. And it's because we get afraid a lot. In your relationship with Jesus, speak to him. Don't be afraid to admit that you are inadequate. Never be afraid to tell God how many times you have failed or to feel shame and guilt because of the way that you have been slow to respond to him. Because over and over and over again, he will tell you, do not be afraid. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. What will keep you from him? He says, I am your protector. I'm at your side. I'm with you no matter what. You will never be alone because my power and my love are with you. He has called you by name. You are known deeply, known individually. Hear God, close your eyes and just hear him say your name over and over again. Hear him speak his name over you, your identity. He gives you life and makes you his own. And again and again says your name in joy. Scripture says he even sings over you. Look at verse 2. When you pass through the water, through the fire, 
which are symbols, metaphors to the most dangerous situations in nature, situations which threaten your very life. These things represent all the things that could harm you. But they have no power because he is with you. He says, whatever difficulties I call you to pass through, because there will be difficulties. He says, you will not be alone. In 43, look at what he calls you. He says, you are precious. You are honored. He says he loves you. Precious, honored, and loved. And Jesus says, dare to trust that he says this to you. That it is only here with this new sense of trust in relationship that starts with how much God sees you, loves you, and cares for you, that you begin to understand and step into this type of prayer. This has never been about mastering some formula or saying the right words. It is about what God has done for you. It's not an accident that the first time God is mentioned in Scripture as Father is in the book of Exodus where he says Israel is his child, the child that he just delivered out of bondage. And here Jesus says God is your Father because through Jesus Christ, by his death, <laughs> you have been delivered from bondage once and for all. You are a child of God, a child who can pray, because prayer is not some spiritual talent that some have and others don't. It is a language, a gift. And you may walk right up to your dad, like when I'm on my iPad and my kid crawls right up and pushes it away and sits right in front of my face and says, Dada, Dada. <laughs> on cue, look at that, we practiced it. That's what you do. That's what prayer is an invite, invitation to. And he explains that and he says, now go back to Luke 11, Trevin, read this. Jesus said, suppose you have a friend, you go to him at midnight and say, lend me three loaves of bread. Friend comes and says, I got no food. But suppose the one who inside answers, don't answer me. Don't bother me. The door is locked. My children are in bed. I'm not getting up and giving you anything. You must have had the ring. I tell you, even though this man will not give up and give the bread because of friendship, but because of your shameless audacity, he's going to get up and give you as much as you need. Now, I don't know if you know this, but a whole family lived together in one room of the house back then. And on one side of the house, there was this raised platform where they, everybody would sleep. On the ground were the animals, maybe a cow, a couple of chickens, who knows, perhaps some sheep, goats. I don't know, I'm getting off track. Maybe one of those Alaskan racing pigs from the fair. I got to stop. Anyway, there was no way that if someone is banging on your door in the middle of the night, that it's not waking everybody up. I have a cat. When you wake the cat up, no big deal. I don't know what happens when you wake up a goat. It's probably not good. So it must have taken a lot of boldness for this man to shamelessly bang on that door in the middle of the night and say, I want this and I need this. You may pray this way. But not so because God is reluctant and needs to be persuaded by your banging. Because the relationship has changed. In prayer, God is going to give you a heart and a passion for what he wants. He will teach you to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. And don't you ever hesitate to pray that. Lord, I do not know how to speak to this person about my faith. 
but I know that you have placed them in my life to be a witness to them. You do not need to be afraid. You may boldly ask God for whatever you need. And as the band comes back up here, we'll get to the last little part. He says, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, it's going to be open for you. Everyone who asks, receive. This isn't about red bicycles at Christmas. This is about the Spirit, because the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, the door is open. Keep on asking, seeking, knocking. The verbs here are continuous. Not a one-time thing. Always. Because we can have an earnest, an intensity. Not just shooting up wishes to heaven. That's not prayer but a relationship that we keep coming back to over and over again, praying from the heart. It says daily bread, daily forgiveness, because it is a relationship that is every moment of your life. And he concludes so beautifully here in response to prayer and says, which of you fathers, if your child asks for a fish, will give them a snake? Or if asked for an egg, we'll give them a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Spirit to those who ask? God does more than all we could ever ask or imagine. The relationship that He has pulled you into through His Son is one that is forever and constant despite what your eyes may see. One that pushes past your fear and all of the distractions of life and brings you right to his chair and says, come, be with me and pray with me. At the end of Luke comes Acts. And in Acts, the disciples get busy doing the work of the Lord. And so they hire some more people to help them so that they may have more time to pray. They did not forget the lesson. They recognized the importance of prayer. Which is why when we gather as a body, we pray. Will you stand with me as we pray for our entire church?